All right. Hello, everybody. Yeah, this is the beardless Jeff Jones. Yeah, I'll address the beard in just a little bit. But first, I just want to say hello to uh, all of you, uh, wherever, whatever campus you're at, if you're here at Legacy or at one of our other campuses or online right now. Um, and before I actually get into the message, too, let me say this, that in two weeks is Easter, which is kind of a big deal around here, big deal in our culture as well, because people are more open to invitation to say, hey, come to church with me. And that's always the best way, by the way. It's not just hand it and say, hey, good luck, you know, figure it out. Here's a thing. But just to say, hey, why don't you come with me and show up? And I think this year in particular, um, not only, you know, be thinking about people who don't go to church, we're a church that intentionally uh, tries to connect with people who don't go to church. But even people who go to our church, because there's so many people that, if you haven't seen them in a long time, because there's so many people just kind of floating, and that's a dangerous place to be spiritually. We just kind of lost our rhythms and that kind of thing. And so if God brings somebody to mind or pray about that, and just, you know, I just need to reach out and say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? And so, um, again, be praying for this Easter. It's a, um, it's a time where I believe God's going to do a whole lot. And uh, so I'm excited about that. But the beard. So, uh, so what happened with the beard is this. I, I guess it made me look a whole lot wiser, older, but also wiser and smarter. So I had all these people pulling me into things, you know, more counseling requests, uh, people pulling me into their company to see if I could resolve disputes or handle strategy for something. I, I had, I mean, the Dallas Cowboys called to ask my opinion about free agency and what they should do. Uh, a couple of government uh, agencies contacted me to see if I could solve global, global warming. It just getting to be too much. And so I just said, no, that's not what happened. Um, so what happened is it just started feeling like a foreign thing, like an object on my face that wasn't my face. And then people were telling me how I need to shape it and use beard oil. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. And so that was it. So for some people, some of you, you know, when it related to the beard, I, I, I said, hey, if you, you know, you want to vote, vote, send it in. So some of you don't, you know, you don't really care. Um, some of you are happy that the beard is gone, but most of the people who voted, like 80% voted to keep the beard. That was the feedback, keep the beard. So that means all those people are dealing with disappointment this weekend and which is a really good transition in our grown up faith series, because today we're talking about disappointment and how to deal with things when things don't go the way you want them to. And especially when it's a lot bigger deal than just my pastor doesn't have a beard anymore, but like real stuff that happens in our world where things are going okay, and then all of a sudden they're not go, going okay. And you know, grown-up faith, which is what we're talking about in this series, you know, big faith is easy to have when things are going well. It's like, oh yeah, God is good, and I'm good, and it's, you know, yeah, it's all. But when things aren't going so well, and things turn south, what does grown-up faith look like then? And for some of you, that's not a hypothetical question. For some of you right now, you're in it, in one of those times. Uh, maybe you're dealing with loss of someone that you love and you thought you'd be spending the rest of your life with, and now what? Or maybe you're in a situation where you're afraid that's going to happen, where there's some health diagnosis, or now you're on this unwanted treatment journey of chemotherapy wards or whatever you're and you're like, I 
didn't sign up for this. I don't know where this is going. And you're right in the middle of that. You or someone you love. Maybe for you, it's a, it's a relational thing that's happened where you've had a breakup in a dating relationship or uh, maybe a marriage or a family thing or parent-child relationship that's not going well and has taken a, a downward turn. Maybe it's a, a financial thing or a career thing, a business thing. And, and when life turns south like that, what does grown-up faith look like? And today we're going to see that. And as we do, if, if you've been a Christian for a while, you may already think, oh, I, I know what that looks like. I know what you're going to say. And I'm going to ask you to kind of suspend that because I think you're going to be surprised. Um, I, I think most of us wouldn't guess, oh, that's what it looks like. So, And it's really important because how you and I, the choice that you and I make when we find ourselves in, in a time of suffering, of difficulty, of grief, affects the rest of our life way more than we think. The faith choice we make will kind of set the trajectory of our spiritual journey, dictating in part who, the kind of people we become. So what does that choice look like? Now, we're going to see that illustrated in an, an Old Testament book that uh, many of you who are Christians will know about. You're like, yeah, I thought you'd go to that book because it is a, it is a book about suffering. And you see somebody make a really bold faith choice, and that is Job in the Old Testament. And Job is a great book. If, you're, if your life is starting to go bad and you want to feel better about yourself and your situation, read Job, as you're going to see, because it's... It's really bad. He went from good to really bad. Job's an interesting book, too. It's actually the oldest book in the Bible. Uh, Genesis is first in the order, but scholars all are united that Job was written long before Moses wrote Genesis. And so it's the first book of the Bible is actually written. And it is a story about a guy whose life starts out really great in the book. I mean, he's got it all going on. We would all sign up for a life like that. He was wealthy. He had a great marriage, he had a great family life, he had a great house, he, you know, probably had great hair and a great beard. Uh, he, you know, was what kind of guy to be a scratch golfer without even trying, you know, without having to practice. I mean, just, you go on and on right. He had it all going on. He had life by the tail. Everything was great. But in the book, everything's going to change because here's what happens. There's this conversation in heaven between Satan and God. You think, what's Satan doing in heaven? That's a whole other series. Uh, but that happens. Okay, so uh, Satan, who was a, is a fallen angel, but one of the, so he appears before God and says, hey, you know what? You know, you got that guy named Job on the planet. And I admit, he's impressive. Like, he's godly. He loves you. He's a, you know, he, he thinks you're great. He's following you fully. But I, I bet... If you mess with him a little bit, he would curse you and blame you and turn away from you. Because, of course, he's godly. Of course, he has big faith because you make everything so great for him. He's got, I mean, he's got it all going on. Why wouldn't he? But I bet if you let me mess with him, he would turn on you. And not only for that reason, but for reasons we, you know, God is God. He does what he does. He decides, okay, let's do it. I'll let you do that. Now, he gives, he gives Satan some parameters, some boundaries um, which tells us some things, too. In another sermon, we can talk about that. But he turns him. He says, okay, go ahead. You can do it. Don't touch his body, but you can, you know, and don't kill him, but you can do whatever else. So Job's life's going great, and all of a sudden, bam, it's not. Very quickly, in these waves of suffering that come, one after another, boom, 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 
he loses all of his possessions, all of his wealth. His house caves in, crumbles in with his sons and daughters in it. He loses all his sons and daughters. His wife, not, but his, all his family, other than his wife, gone. He has no idea why, what's going on. That's a test, right? And what is he going to do? Well, he, he grieves, it says. I mean, of course he grieves. And yet it also says he worships God and he looks to him for strength. And he's like, God, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to trust you. So Satan's like, well, you know, comes before God and says, okay, that's impressive. I thought he would turn on you. I thought he would hate you. I thought he wouldn't walk with you anymore, but okay. But you didn't let me touch his body. I bet if you let me touch his physical stuff, along with all the other stuff, he would cave. And God says, okay, you can't kill him, but you can, you can, affect, his, you can affect him physically. And so in, in chapter 2, verse 7, it says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes uh, that was once his property and stuff. But, so there he is, now totally miserable. Now, we don't know exactly what was going on, except this sounds terrible. I mean, his whole body covered with these sores. There's some doctors and physicians that have looked back and looked at the wording, and there are actually some theories about there, there's some conditions kind of like this, and it is nasty, where you just have these big sores all over your body, and flies get in there, and they're maggots, and this sort of pussy, mayonnaise kind of stuff going on. You know I don't like mayonnaise. But it, and he, so he's great. Do you want me to keep talking about it? Would that help? Um, so he's scraping it because they kind of scab over. And so he's, I mean, just, if you've had a bad day, again, it just helps to think of it. He's okay. It's not that bad. So it's, it's bad. And his wife has had enough. I mean, she's lost her home. She's lost her possessions. More importantly, she's lost her kids. And now he's in that situation. And so she says to him in verse nine, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. What are you doing? Now, that's a natural response. Because why would God be allowing this? And I mean, they have no idea what's going on in the big picture. They have no clue. They never find out about the whole heavenly bet. And here's how Job responds. You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? Now, that's actually pretty carefully worded. Um, because he doesn't say, You're, you are a foolish woman. He doesn't say that. Now, I don't have a beard anymore, so I don't look smarter than I am. Now I look about as dumb as I am, unfortunately. So, but even without the beard, um, just a little bit of marriage advice I think is good. Guys, never look at your wife and say, you foolish woman. That's not going to go well. But that's not what he says. He says, you're talking like a foolish woman. I mean, the insinuation of that is, hey, look, that's not who you are. You're, you're not being you. She is a woman of faith, too. He's a man of faith. She's a woman of faith. And it doesn't matter if she's a woman or a man. Just saying, you're, you're, you're not talking like you. You're talking like a foolish person, not a person of faith. Why? Because she's lost perspective. And of course she has. And here's what we're going to see. And I just want you to hold this thought. This is the surprising part of growing up faith and difficulty is that grown-up faith and difficulty doesn't mean you never lose perspective. It means that even when you lose perspective, you still pursue God. 
And so she's a person of faith who's lost perspective. Job's going to lose it too. We're going to see that. But for now, incredible perspective. I mean, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? Pretty amazing. But he's about to lose it too. And it happens, he loses it when his friends come. So he's got three friends that come, and we read about that in, in the next verse. It says, when three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him, which is cool. And actually, they start out so good. I mean, they, it's, it's really cool. It says, when they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. That was a cultural way to do that. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. For seven days and seven nights, these friends just sit with him in the dust and ashes without saying a word. They're just there. Seven days and seven nights. It's a really cool model. In fact, this became, this was thousands of years ago, but it became tradition in Jewish culture. That's still tradition in Jewish culture. They call it to sit Shavah. That when you come to grieve with somebody, you sit Shavah. Shavah is the Hebrew word for seven. To sit seven. So people will come and hang out with you for a week and just there. Not trying to answer the questions why, not trying to say the perfect words. And that, I think, is so Significant. You know, we're told in Romans 15 to grieve with those who grieve and mourn with those who mourn. But that can be hard to do. Because I bet all of us have somebody in our life right now that is going through a really tough time. And they're a friend of ours. I'm not talking about just acquaintance. I'm talking about a friend. And we may be kind of staying away from them because we don't know what to say. We don't really know what to do. We think, well, you know, I'll just get in their way or they're probably fine without me. And, and what am I going to say anyway to make it all better? I, I don't know. I just mess it up. And, you know, it just can be awkward. And this is such a great model. Because the most important thing is just to show up and be there. Uh, I remember hearing a, a, a story of, a, of, of a, another pastor that I know just barely. Um, but when his wife was dying, um, there was a person who, they were at a special clinic. And, and there was a person in their church that just came and sat in the waiting room and just let him know. Just said, hey, look, you never have to talk to me. You never have to come out. I just want you to know I'm there in the waiting room. And I'm going to be there. And I'm just going to be praying. And if it's ever helpful, I'm here. Talk to But if not, no pressure. It just feels good for me to be here. It's just the power of presence. The power of being there. Without You think, well, what am I going to say? It really doesn't matter. In fact, it's better to say nothing than to try to explain things that are above our pay grade. Now, they would have been good to remember that, but they didn't, or didn't know, whatever. But for seven days and nights, they're great, suffering too great for, but after seven days and nights, they start talking. And they're, when they start talking, they don't stop. You know anybody like that? Just look at me. Um, they just talk. For 34 chapters in the book, they talk. And they're going to tell Job, hey, it's time to, you know, okay, we did the morning thing, but now it's time to move on. You've got to deal with something because their theory, all three of them, have the same theory. This is their consolation to Job. It's, hey, the reason that all your kids died and you lost everything and all this is happening to you with this, you know, stuff on you, all over you and the pain that you're in, it's obviously your fault because God is fair. He would never do something bad 
to somebody who's good. And yeah, you all look good. We all think you're good, but obviously you're not good and you're hiding your badness. And why don't you just bring it out in the open and repent and just let us know, fess up, because God will just keep destroying your life if you don't. So obviously this is all happening because it's your fault. Does that make him feel better? And they just keep coming after him with that and with that. And he's like, hey, look, I'm a... I'm not perfect, but I am the guy you think I am. I really don't think this is happening because I'm so evil and God's trying to get me. There's nothing, you know everything there is to know. Like there's no hidden anything. Like that, I don't know what's going on. But it's, and they go on like this for 34 chapters and they are miles away from the truth. We know the truth in the book. The truth is there's this conversation in heaven between Satan and God. That's the truth. They have no clue. They think they do. And they just stick with it. And for 34 chapters, it's a style. And honestly, 34 chapters is a lot. And when you read through it, it's very repetitive, very flowery. They're trying to be super spiritual. It's, it's dead wrong. And after 34 chapters, I mean, it's, it's hard to read. If you want a boring section of the Bible, it's perfect. You know, if you have insomnia, just read that. And you think, why would God give... 34 chapters in the Bible. Most books in the Bible are not that long. Why would he give 34 chapters in the Bible to that? And I think it's to make a point. That when we think we've got it all figured out and we're being God in somebody else's life, little G God, and trying to be, give all the answers and all that kind of stuff, you just have to roll your eyes because we have no clue. And it's just good to be humble enough to remember that. Well, they go on and on and on in this conversation. And, and after a while, Job loses perspective, just like his wife lost perspective. The whole, hey, I'm going to take good from bad. We're good. I, he loses that. But he doesn't lose faith. And that's important to understand about grown up faith in times of difficulty, because he starts coming after God a little bit. And multiple times in, in these chapters, he's like, I demand an audience. In fact, I need a mediator, I feel like. I need somebody who will help me get to you and plead my case. Because this isn't right. This isn't fair. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening. And you're not saying anything. And I think you're in control. I think you're good, but I don't know. And he just, he kind of comes at God a little bit like that. And in the end, God never says that he is anything but full of faith. And what that tells us is, is that grown-up faith in times of suffering and difficulty doesn't mean we choose this plastic exterior that hides the fear and hurt and confusion we have inside, disillusionment we have inside. That's not faith. Kind of putting on the plastic smile of, God is good all the time. I, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just, you know, better and better every day. When we're not feeling that inside, that's not grown-up faith. God can handle our disappointment and our disillusionment and our hurt and our questions and he that grown-up faith is being honest about all that and pursuing god with it that's why when you read the book of psalms in the old testament these are worship songs that in israel days they that that was their worship songs like that was their hymn book or whatever like that's so these are songs that god loved but that people like David and other people in the Bible wrote as worship songs. But a lot of them, when you read, they're the weirdest worship songs ever, some of them. Because a lot of them are complaints. And they're things like, you know, God, I don't think you're, I don't think you're doing it right. Because all the good people, 
bad stuff's happening to them. All the bad people, they're doing great. And their kids are doing great. And it's not right. And I don't think you get it. Oh, what kind of worship song? Can you imagine us singing that kind of worship song? You know, everybody raising their hands. Oh, God, you're really messing up. I don't think you're in control. And if you are, I don't think you're very good. You're like, um, that's a weird worship song. So why would God put those in there? They're called laments, complaint songs. Some of them never turn around. A lot of them do. But a lot of them, but some of them don't. And why would God put them in there and say, I love that song? That's honoring to him. Why is that honoring him? Because it's people in their confusion, in their authentic pain, who are pursuing God in it and bringing it to God. And that's growing up faith. They say, God, I don't get it. I don't like it. I'm going to come to you with this and I'm going to trust you. And I'm just going to keep pursuing you. And that's what Job does. And because he keeps pursuing God, he, God begins to speak. And when he begins to speak, this is the longest monologue in the Bible from God. The longest speech from God we have in the Bible is in this section of Job, starting in verse chapter 38. And what Job wants is answers. God, why is this happening? And God's going to not give any answers. Instead, he's going to give 70 questions. And he's going to overwhelm Job just to show him, hey, this is way above your pay grade. Being God, I know it looks easy, but it's actually pretty complicated. And here's what he does. Verse, just to give you a flavor, I'm going to read this. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's long, so I'll just read part of it. He says, so God says this to Job. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Now, he's not going to be able to answer any of these. They're above his pay grade. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. How did creation happen? Who determined its dimension and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I've locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther you will come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? And he goes on like this and gives very specific things as he goes about creation to say that, hey, I actually am in control and I actually do a good job and I actually do this with loving care. But and he just in 70 questions, there's no way Job can answer any of them. And so they take a little pause in verse uh, chapter 40, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? And then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I've said too much already. I have nothing more to say. It's like my bad. I get it. You're God and I'm not. And I couldn't figure out why, even if you told me. But God goes on. Two more chapters. Got to throw some more, more of these questions at him. And then finally, Job 42, verse 1, it says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It's me. It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before. Remember this phrase. 
I'd only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Job gives up his demand for why. He said, God, I'm going to trust you with the why. And I'm just going to keep pursuing you. As far as we know, Job never found out why. He didn't, you know, he didn't know the whole heaven story or anything like that. But what we do know and what we do see at the end of the book is God's redemption. In Job 19.25, in a time of greater clarity, Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and in the end he will stand on the earth. Meaning I know that God is a Redeemer and in the end he'll redeem everything that happens on this broken planet. We live on a broken planet, bad things happen. I'm going to trust God for his redemption. Because one thing to understand on this broken planet we live on, it's not like God is sitting around strategizing how to hurt you. We live in a fallen, broken world where stuff happens. One day, Jesus will return and he'll fix that. That won't happen anymore. But what God promises to do for those who seek him, for those who trust him, like Job, for those who've grown up faith, is to redeem it. To redeem the stuff that happens in our lives. And that's the hope. The hope is not, oh, I'm never going to suffer. The hope is, I have a redeemer who will turn suffering into purpose. I have a redeemer who will bring good out of the bad. I have a redeemer who will walk with me through this. And, and that's what Job, and that's what we see. And we'll come back to that a little bit. Grown up faith is not a sort of this, oh, I, I'm good. And, you know, in this plastic kind of grown up faith is, you know what? This, this is not good. And I don't know why. And I don't like it. But I'm going to keep pursuing God. And I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to look to him for redemption. And for those people, that choice those are the people who actually become people of really grown-up faith. That's how faith grows in those times. I want us to see, a, I want to make this concrete with a picture, a story of this. And what we're going to do is we're going to see a, a short video from one of our pastors. Uh, some of you know him, John Stanley. Uh, he's our Gold out, Outreach pastor. Our outreach, so I, I've traveled with him all over the world and just an amazing guy. But I'm sure most people don't know his story. And so let's watch the screens. We were a happy young family. We had a son, John Jr., who was five years old, and uh, Jarrett, who had just been born. And we just had a lot of hope for the future of raising our little family together and just doing life together. And. Um, about three months after Jarrett was born, um, Kathy felt a lump in her breast and we had that investigated, went through some series of tests and about two months later it was revealed that um, through a biopsy that it was cancerous. She needed to have surgery and so we did that. and. Um, they felt like they had gotten all the cancer, all the tumor, and then set a protocol of uh, the next six months and what that was going to be like in our lives. And you can imagine it was, you know, filled with uh, lots of chemotherapy and lots of radiation. We felt like, okay, 
we can plan something for the future. We can begin to plan our lives out. But after eight months, it was obvious that that plan was not the case. The cancer had returned, and it returned really with a vengeance. It was very aggressive and very fast-growing. They placed a pick line where we, she could receive 24-hour chemotherapy for the next few months in hopes that that would, that would take it away as well. But in February of this next year, which was about 18, 19 months later, it was obvious that the end was near. And uh, we entered the hospital and 10 days later she passed on March 1st, 1990. I could remember Romans 8:28. It says that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Um, that, that verse is true. I've been blessed to be in places that I never thought I'd be in to have relationships that I never thought I would have. The Lord bringing another woman into my life to be my wife is a blessing. I didn't know that that would happen after Kathy passed. I can't say that it was every day strong and faith didn't have any kinks in it or any questions. But I can say, looking back overall, that God gave me the faith that I needed every day. Sure, there may be tough times, but God's favor is going to be there and His faithfulness is going to be there for us. When we really realize who He is and His goodness, our faith has to be there. That's grown-up faith. And you see how God brings redemption into the stuff that we deal with in a fallen world. He could have made another choice, right? He could have chosen to abandon God, move away from him, get angry, do all that. But instead, to say, I'm going to cling to him even when it doesn't make sense, just like Job did. I'll even give up the why and choose to trust that's grown-up faith. And for people who make that choice in those times, they'll look back and realize those are the most significant times of transformation and connection with God in their whole life. That's why Job said, you know, before, I'd, I'd heard about you, God, but now I've seen you. And now I, I know you. I thought I knew you, but through what we've gone through, and I'm seeing your redemption in my life. I, I know you. Grown-up faith is a choice. And here it is. Even when circumstances are not well, my soul is well. Because I choose to trust him. To authentically bring my hurt and confusion to him. To gain strength from him. To open up my life to his redemptive work. And for some of you, life's going well right now. So I'm going to ask you to store that choice away because in a fallen world, 
Trouble's just around the corner. You came to church to get inspired and encouraged, but just know, in a fallen world, stuff happens. Some of you are right in it now, and I want to pray for you. We don't bear burdens alone here. And I want to bear that burden with you in prayer as we take what you're struggling with to God and say, God, help me make that choice. You know, the Bible calls that kind of faith a gift. It's not something we have to manufacture. We have to say, mm. it's actually something that God will give us when we seek him. The ability to trust him. Even when life is hard and makes no sense. One day, sure, we'll see the bigger picture. It's just impossible now. So let's bow our heads together in prayer and let's pray for each other. For some of you, let's pray for yourself. Father, I do pray for those right now who, like Job, are just in the thick of it. And there's some unwanted problem, challenge, downturn, pain, confusion. And Father, I thank you that one of the things that you let us know about is one of the reasons Jesus came, Hebrews 4, is to be our sympathetic high priest, that he as God took on humanity, lived for decades here as a human to know what it's like to be us. So that when we come before you, we have a sympathetic high priest who knows what it means to hurt and face confusion and difficulty like we do. And so, Father, help us remember that as we come before you now. And I pray that you give strength, that you give hope, that you would give perspective, that you would bring your redemption in it. And Father, I thank you that for your character. Because we can't trust circumstances, but we can trust your character. We can trust you. And give us the gift, the ability to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.